Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. Hi everyone, my name is C, I use they them pronouns, and I play Oka Hien, Asamar blood hunter and monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V Noct Shurzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include familial conflict, complex and complicated relationships, romance, flirting, kissing, references to sexual entanglements, hospitals, trauma, and grief. Arc 4, Episode 15 Halos of the Endings of Dreams From Debasement by Raji Bartish Translated by Sunila Mubai The throne room of the 887th emperor is drenched in blood. The blood of soldiers, the blood of innocents, the blood of monsters. We see now a cratered battlefield of shining plate armor darkened by gristle, bodies strewn limply against the obsidian floor, silver robes soaked through with crimson. We see shattered banisters, scattered shrapnel, plumes of dust still settling over parts of the hall where the balcony buckled. Chunks of black marble, severed limbs, smashed in armor are scattered throughout this hall. So many dead. So many more injured or grieving. We see healers picking through the debris, checking heartbeats, hauling corpses out of rubble. Toktoa Kagan strides from archer to archer, thumping the injured on the back, closing the eyes of the dead, rousing the spirits of her fighters. The Morosi delegation huddles nearby, including Elder Pohaku, drinking hot milk from borrowed Kyrian flasks. We see Duchess Starwing assisting the healers, performing final rites for the dead. She scatters black ash, a low, rolling prayer clicking out of the depths of her throat. 
Karishma Bataval, the shark-headed consul of Suraksha, confers in low, urgent tones with Lord Henka Oju, the great uniter. Lord Oju's whitened face betrays not a spark of emotion as she casts an austere gaze over this bloodied aftermath, but we do see a hint of sorrow brimming in her darkened eyes. Sorrow and the cold, steady fire of promised retribution. And finally, we see Princess Nauau Kikoa giving orders to her guards to help the Tsilongans pull their dead out of the rubble. And now we see the Emperor's silver throne gleaming upon the dais at the back of the hall, as immaculate as the day it was smelted, save for the crimson gash splattered from seat all the way up to rail. The body of Kilohana Kaula Ting, speaker of the chrysalis, is crumpled against the base of the throne. Emperor Zhen of Xiong, Lord of Ten Thousand Years, the dream-blessed paragon of Mengshen, Jirdi, looks down at Kilohana's corpse with an unreadable expression on their face. Her mismatched eyes flick to the side as a group of guards enters the hall carrying the body of the paragon killer. The Emperor's gaze lingers on the dark hole punched through Tarnok's chest. She raises a hand and a second contingent of royal soldiers moves forward to carry Kilohana's body out of sight as well. And just like that, the story of the Emperor's would-be assassin and their would-be handler comes to a close. V. Where do we find you amongst the rubble? And how are you doing? V is a bit shell-shocked, having just returned from the nothing where the stranger mother whatever people like to call it uh seems to be in waiting she's like on the ground next to the throne and she's looking down at her body her hands her arms and she sees the little threads of green and purple where scott and nectus literally brought her back together she was disintegrating in this other plane and she tries to stand and like her foot like her body's just like a little wonky feeling. She just, she tries to stand and her knee just kind of buckles and she falls back down to sort of a knee. And she kind of like looks out for Rev and she just, no one would be able to hear it in the entire room, but she just like mumbles, Rev, I need you. Yeah, no, as you're stumbling, as like you're like grappling with your own mortality, I think, you feel like a strong, steady hand on your shoulder. And like the smell of like musk, right? And like chestnut and like raven feathers flutters by you and revs right there. She holds you steady. V, V, it's okay. Hey, hey, I got you. And I think V just like cries into Rev's chest and that's it for her. She's, she's a mess. You feel a flutter of feathers as she, like, throws her cape, like, over your shoulders and pulls you close. And just sort of, like, wordlessly, like, strokes you and, like, keeps, like, saying these, like, very soft platitudes to you to calm you down as you sob against her chest. We're gonna pan away, I think, like, away from where V and Rev are huddled on the dais to find Dewey. Dewey, where are you and what are you doing? I think Dewey has, is on the ground. He's fallen away from the throne where he punched his friend. Um, and he's sort of just like cradling his gauntlet fist because he doesn't punch people and it hurts. And also he doesn't want to look up at the body of the person that was his friend for a while, his very good friend. 
Yeah. As you're cradled there, just sort of like nursing your own gauntlet, you don't look up as like guards come forward and lift Kilohana's body up and like out of the base of the throne and out of the room, right? Maybe like out of the corner of your eye, you see, sort of see her like limp hand just sort of like hanging there uh, as like the guards ferry her corpse away. Uh, and you're just sort of there shell-shocked, I think, like reeling from all of these revelations, kneeling. Now we're going to pan over to Manaya. So where do we find Manaya in the rubble and how's she doing? Manaya finds herself returning to how she acted on the ruffled turn, that ship that she had her first job on all those months ago, helping to move rubble and carry bodies. But after the third or fourth or eighth body, she can't remember, in the middle of carrying the body out, she falls to her knees and cries. Yeah, we find you amidst the other soldiers, the other guards, the other healers moving corpses out of the way, identifying the dead. Find you kneeling in like a pool of blood that doesn't belong to you as tears just sort of seep out of your eyes and roll down your face. And finally, we go to Oka. Oka is surprised by how calm they are, I think. They can feel their heartbeat thumping like low and steady. It's not the jackrabbiting. It's not the like pounding of rage. It's just really steady. And they like cast almost this like sideways look at the emperor, but then something like pulls their gaze away and then they start moving with purpose. They just kind of turn on their heel as fast as they can go down, 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 down the dais. Uh, And they say Dewey there for a moment, but they're like almost looking past him. But I think they put a hand on his shoulder and I think unintentionally like leave a blood smear. Uh, It's like this really quick touch. I think that is supposed to be comforting whether or not it is, but it's fast. And they move past and they are desperately looking for their family and for Kane. Oka, you hear a familiar voice go, Oka! Uh, Kane's voice ring out through this like quiet, muffled hall, and you see stepping out of the shadows uh, of one of like the exits of the hall, you see your family. You see your mother in her wheelchair rolling forward. You see Yaya running out of the dark straight for you. Liangya hanging back a little, still holding a pile of books. She always has books with her, like her her thick glasses smeared with tears. Toya hanging back, looking very cautiously around her, like big, beautiful brown eyes, just like scanning and taking everything in. And Kane, uh, with your family, one hand on the back of Arden's wheelchair, one foot striding forward toward, toward you to greet you. Oka just opens their arms and lets Yaya just come, like barrel into them. And I think it's then that their heartbeat starts going. Like all of a sudden, it's like as soon as she impacts with them, it's like and they just like hold her like the back of her head against their chest uh, really, really, really tight. Yeah, your family just sort of comes toward you, like Arden like rolls up to you and like rests like, I think like her head against like your elbow and like hug hugs like one side of your body very gently. Uh, Liangya also comes up and like slams into the other side of your body and hugs you. Toya leans back after a moment and then comes in and just like puts a hand awkwardly, I think on your shoulder. And Kane also strides in, dark blue hair falling down over their shoulders and they like rest their head in the crook of your neck wordlessly pressing their forehead against your cheek and Oka stays like that I think for like a long time and eventually they kind of like just tip their head down against and they kind of like bonk it on one of Kane's horns but they just breathe in the smell of their family safe I love that yeah 
And I think like we hold on this for a minute, right? It's like everyone's just reeling in the aftermath, processing, <laughs> trying to take all of this insane bullshit in. And then you all hear a voice, a familiar voice, coming out of the shadows from beyond where Oka reunited with her family. The voice of one Queen Moore. And it sort of cuts through, like the congregation cuts through where everyone's gathered. And it just says, well, is everyone okay? And stepping out of the shadows, we see this like refined red dragonborn woman with this like crest fanning out from her neck, holding like a steel fan in one, one hand, striding forward very quickly and elegantly. She's accompanied by all of her children, including Prince Moore to be wed. And he wasn't here, right? He wasn't here when the monsters attacked. He was presumably in like the groom's quarters waiting to be called in, but he's dressed in these like bright crimson uh, robes of like a to-be-wed groom, right? And his like hair's done up, uh, like he's got makeup on. He looks like this was the moment of his life that he was preparing for, that he was training up to his, his entire royal life. And his face is scrunched up. He looks like he's been crying. He looks terrified. He looks shocked. But he's being like dragged along by his mother, not by hand, uh, but by duty. And she like strides forward and like pauses at the base of the dais and looks around. And we see all the other dignitaries stop. They like start pausing. You know what they're doing? They like start like half standing up to like look at the queen. She looks around. She says, what horrible horrible news what a horrible occurrence my condolences to everyone i in the aftermath of disaster there is still however always beauty and hope my love and she turns to the emperor you must wed my son and the dream prophet now oka like i think they're kind of like like almost like to the side of the dais and they just like turn really slowly, their eyes like getting like wider. And I think there's like an objection like forming on their mouth that they're trying really hard not to let out. Uh, yeah, I think like before you can even object, right? Or while that's like brimming on your teeth, you see your mother father straighten. I think she was by the silver throne touching the blood that like was blemishing it. She draws her hand away from the blood and like raises it, right? Turns to the first wife and says, Queen Moore, good, you're here. There's something we need to talk about. And at that, Queen Moore's face, which was like very like, almost like jubilant, like very like insistent, like she was go, 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 like ready for this marriage, stills, and then it sort of pinches with shadow, like draws taut, and then relaxes as she realizes what's about to come. Darling, shouldn't we have private conversations in privacy. No, this is a public affair. Everyone should know. And the emperor turns slowly and like with a lot of like weight to address like the entire hall. Queen Moore, I think you know what I'm about to say. You have committed treason and because of that, you must be tried. Queen Moore straightens slowly, right? Like every segment of every vertebrae, like snapping to attention all the way back, like all the way up her spine until she like raises her chin, those like high impervious cheekbones, right? Resting underneath her like glowing eyes. And she says, what my love, dear emperor, are you referring to? Surely not the fact that there was an attempt upon your life. That was 
not me. Anyone can attest. That's not what I'm referring to. Gwalian, drop the ruse. You know I know. You tried to have the secondborn killed on your own orders. Makoya Hien at the time. Oka Hien now. We all know what the price for treason is. Treason specifically against a member of the crown. And the emperor and queen Mo say this at the same time. Death down the vein. And at that phrase, Prince Mo freezes. And his eyes go really wide. And he looks terrified. And the rest of like the Mo children uh, as well they like pause and they freeze and they like look around and like you see their tails uh like just go straight as rods right because death down the vein means every single member of that immediate family will be executed for the crimes of one of them i think at that revelation queen moa's eyes fall upon the paragon of scotanectus who is curled up on the dais in rev's arms he is hearing this and like she's now she's starting to breathe to calm her breath her eyes are just red from crying and she looks up at rev and just she doesn't say anything to rev but just like all right time to do this and she like puts a hand up on the throne and like slowly like pulls herself up and she stands up tall and you can tell that she's like putting a lot of effort into like standing up she walks towards Queen Moi, and she's speaking in common, but in a very Chu way, like, like it's accented by Chu, even though it is in common so that anyone can hear and understand what she's saying. Guests, friends, it's important here that we understand what's going on here today and what has been going on for years. And in order to understand that, you have to see the Emperor and all that the Emperor controls is nothing but a beautiful, beautiful Penjing tree. And as we all know, the Penjing tree needs to be pruned to look so beautiful. It's not something that just grows. It's something that you make beautiful. And the strongest root of this tree has been our friend Queen Moi over here. She is the most powerful root. Her bloodline runs deepest into the earth of Andake. And we know that she would do anything. She told me so just a week or so ago that she would do anything to protect her bloodline and the emperor. She was very adamant she would protect the emperor. Queen, this is true, right? You've, you've said you would do anything to protect the emperor and your bloodline, correct? Every word from the elf's mouth has been a truth. And as we all know, the penjing tree needs sometimes to be pruned. And we have over here this, and saying this word almost pains me right now, this nothing, Oka Hien, who is merely a sliver trapped in the palm that is so irritating that sometimes that you're not able to just pull it out. You have to cut out this sliver out of your hand and it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt but in the end we're protecting the tree 
we are doing what is necessary to preserve the beauty and power of this penjing tree. And believe me, there is no one who would do anything more to help protect that tree than Queen was. She said so herself. She reiterated it just now, including if it requires removing that splinter, even no matter how painful, Queen Moi is willing to do that because she cares so deeply. And if that is not an admission of truth of what has gone on here, not just today, but over the last several years in Chulong, I don't know what is, but we should admire every sacrifice, every plan, every snip of a root that belongs on the Penjing tree. I think we all deserve to give Queen Moi a round of a hand for everything she's done. And V looks over at Queen Moi. Have I satisfied your defense, friend? Queen Moi's face looks thunderstruck because even as you refer to Oka as a sliver, the emperor turns their triple-pupiled gaze and single-pupiled gaze on the queen at this and says, you said so yourself, my darling, that every word from the elf's mouth was a truth. Is this not an admission of guilt? Did you not attempt to murder Makoya Hien and their siblings? And Queen Mu stands there and we see that she's kind of been caught, right? In sort of affirming V's defense, she has essentially admitted her own guilt. And like looking out at the congregation, we see just years and years of scheming and ambition and just like planning and plotting, catching up to Queen Moa and the realization of that dawning on her beautifully drawn face. And then her expression cracks into something very dark and very ugly indeed. And she turns and looks up at the emperor and says, I, I, I am not the villain here, Xiong Zhen. And there's kind of a gasp through the Xiong nobles as the queen refers to the emperor not by title, but by name, which you are not supposed to do. I am the victim. How do you think you got your throne in the first place? You were eighth in line. No, more than that. 16th, 20th, what was it then? You would never have gotten the crown without me. The so-called people's revolution that you stirred up, who organized that? Who coordinated every logistic? Who looked over every map, discerned every weakness of the emperor before you? Me. Without me, you never would have become king. The emperor looks steadily down at Queen Mo and says nothing. And the queen continues. You promised me one thing. I only asked one small thing in return for my sacrifice. For everything I had to give up, all the backs I had to stab, all the loyalties I had to break to, to, to give you that throne that you're perched by now. And I think it was a fair ask. Only that my firstborn, our firstborn, would be guaranteed emperorhood. And did I not give you that, my darling? You did. At first. It is true. My child, Prince Moa, is firstborn. 
and she turns to Prince Moa, who's crying and is just standing there like he knows his life is about to change for the worse, one way or another. He's just shell-shocked standing there. And like his mom like cups like a hand against his cheek. You did. And for a glorious half a year, I was happy. And then you had to go and fall in love with that commoner. And she turns and looks at Arden, who's just sat there in her wheelchair, like very like dignified looking up at like everything that's going on, right? And like holding her head high. This is not the first time she's been referred to as a commoner in the court, certainly not by Queen Moa. It wasn't even the fact that she was a commoner. It was the fact that she was someone at all. You had to go and fall in love with her. And not just that, you had to, you had to bear her child, didn't you? You had to give her a true-born child. And at that, the entire hall of Too Long and Nobles also gasps. And we all know that true-born supersedes birth order in order of inheritance. And you and I both know, Gwilion, that I was willing to take that secret to the grave. Because yes, I am and I was grateful for your help. I will forever be grateful for your help. The secret never would have gotten out. You can't guarantee that. Of course I can. I'm the Emperor. You see, Gwalian, that's not why you're being tried here. If you had accepted things the way they were, your life would have been beautiful. You would have gotten everything you wanted. Your son still would have become emperor because no one would have known the truth of Oka's heritage. But that was never enough for you, Gwilion. You orchestrated their murder. That was never part of the agreement. It was never enough. Your jealousy and your hatred got the better of you, Gwilion. And you attempted something no stepmother should ever attempt. You tried to kill them. When did you stop loving me? When did you ever start loving me, Moa? You only ever loved me for what I could become. You and I both know. You never truly loved me. You only loved me for the ambition I promised you. For my throne. For my power. And the Emperor and the first wife, the Queen, for a long time they just look at each other, Gwilion at the bottom of the dais looking up, and the Emperor looking down at her. There's like a long stretch of silence as no words are exchanged, and just decades of built-up resentment, and of love, and of sharing secrets, and everything passes between them unsaid. Death down the vein, then. And at that, Prince Moa lets out like a deep sob, like a wail. Like he falls to his knees and he's just like sh sobbing and shaking, right? And his servants, his retinue, like back away from him. Like he's like, an, like a dirty thing that they don't want to be near, right? Like everyone starts backing away from the Moors. Uh, except Oka, who finally, for this, the whole, the whole time, I think their, like, double-pupiled gaze is just, like, it was, like, bing, 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 and then there was V, and they were, like, what the fuck is happening right now? 
And finally, 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 they get their body to move as uh, Queen Mo says, death down the vein. And Oka, I think, like, almost rushes forward now. No, no, no. Something else. And they turn to Queen Moa, and there's still that bitter rage. They can never really let go of that. But they look past and see their half-brother. He was a fucking dick their entire life. But also, Oka has literally known him for forever. And they, like, see him sobbing, and their eyes flick back to Queen Moa. Exile. Seven years of exile, all of you, and you return as commoners, nothing, like you did to me. And Oka, at that, I think, turns and looks up at the emperor on the throne. All eyes fall upon the emperor to see how she'll respond to this request. And the emperor looks down at you, Oka. Like, her eyebrows raised, she looks for a split second surprised. And then her face comes back into this neutral expression, and she just nods. Looks at Queen Moor, and says, Moor Gwilion, henceforth, you and all your children are exiled. Seven years to the day, you may not return to the borders of Tulong. And when you do, if you do, you will be nameless with nothing to your family. And at that, Queen Moa, stricken, looks at the Emperor. There's like almost like a relief crumpling over her face when she realizes she doesn't have to be executed, but then the relief like transforms into this sullen, like, acceptance. She turns to look at you, Oka. And like the last thing she or any of the Moa say before the royal guards search forward to escort them out of the palace is addressed to you. I should have known. The day I found out your mother-father was pregnant, that was the end of me. No. You were the end of you. And you always have been. I'm not doing this because I like you, or I forgive you. I'm doing this because I've killed too many times today. And with that, the former Queen Moa is escorted out of the throne room, and the doors on her and her family start to close. And I think you see Prince Moa, like, the former Prince Moa's face, through a sliver of that crack, just turn and look at you, Oka. And, like, you two half-siblings look at each other for, like, a split second, and his face is just struck in with fear. He doesn't know what's gonna go on. He doesn't know what his life is gonna look like anymore, moving, moving forward. And then the doors just slam shut on that expression. And silence once more falls over the throne room. And I think we can cut now, several days later, to a war room here in the depths of the palace, filled with just scrolls on every wall, these beautiful partitions, calligraphy, paintings, uh, statues, phoenixes and telians and dragons and tigers and tortoises. And in the center of this war room is a table upon which 
we see a map of Endake just sprawled out, every capital labeled, right? Clusters of little figurines and flags like spread across the map. And standing around this table are all of the dignitaries from the other seven nations. The emperor is standing there presiding over this war room meeting, looking down at this map. And Toktoa Kagan is sort of like pointing with a finger, like gesturing at like the clans of Kirtal, gesturing at the Ogumor River Valley, and is sort of like talking urgently to the emperor, like moving like some figurines of horses like forward and some figurines back and like nodding and they're conferring. There's sort of like a low murmur of like talk, right? And chatter. And as Toktoa Kagan moves a horse figurine, right, from like north to south, we hear the doors shutter open. And striding into the war room are our paragons. So, Okamanaya, Dewey, V, how are you coming into this war room? V has, a, like, a staff at this point. It's not that she needs it, except for every once in a while, her body's still, like, her knees and joints still, like, give out a little bit. She's in full paragon regalia. She's looking a lot better after a few days of rest, but uh, she's still has a sense of taking care of business that I don't think anybody's ever seen from her. She is, like, determined. She is very serious right now. She is here to talk some stuff out. I love it. What about you, Manaya? I think is at the end of her conversation with Dewey, and she says, you know you don't have to be here, right? If you need more rest, it's never too late to turn back. I, I feel like it's my duty. Like, everyone's here. If you insist. Yeah, Dewey, how are you doing? Are you like on crutches or in a wheelchair? No, I think Dewey insisted on ditching all of the attendants that were tending to him. And he's just sort of like, he's been hiding from public eye uh, for the past couple of days. He's making his way in, but like avoiding eye contact with especially Takto Kagan. And what about you, Oka? Oka is moving in this similarly determined, but oddly sheepish way, I think. They don't know how to be. I think they've kind of just been like wandering around in this half formed idea of who they are. And I think they're maybe like having a low conversation with like with Rev as they're all walking in together uh, and they have the scrying bowl in their hands. As all of you come in, like Rev is sort of like murmuring to you, Oka, all of the dignitaries in the room like stop talking and they look up and they like straighten like from where they're standing to turn to face you. And the emperor says, come in, please. And they gesture to six empty spaces at the table for the five of you. Oka moves Sower to take a seat. We'll kind of immediately start preparing the scrying bowl, I guess, in the sixth seat. Yes, you set the scrying bowl down like on the table and you start like casting blood magic as like like the, your own blood starts pulling out of the brass bowl and starts shaping into like that holographic mist, right, that you did uh, when you first encountered Toktoa uh, in the bathhouse. I think instead of being misty because it was misty because of the steam, I think it's a little bit more like they're made out of water. Like they're just made out of the like instead of even a mirror sheen of blood, it's like they're animated with it completely like a like a bust version of them, I think. We're going three-dimensional here, babes. Your crafting skill has gone up by 10. <laughs> and as you, like, move forward and start, like, getting situated, Toktoa Kagan raises her voice and addresses all of you. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on in, come on in. You didn't miss much. We were just comparing, uh, <laughs> having some sort of a measuring contest. Isn't that right? Xiongzhen. And the emperor, without looking at Toktoa, says, 
we were comparing the sizes and strengths of our respective armies. That's all. And Taktoa Kagan laughs and actually thumps the emperor on the back. Uh, and the emperor just sort of takes it, but like looks to the side of Taktoa, who just goes, ha 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 ha, ah, good, good. Well, whenever bad things happen, we have to learn to laugh about them. How else will we move forward? Is Yura, Hitsagatin, Dr. Aluso, are they, are they here? One minute, give me one second. Uh, as Oka, like, I think fi- pulls the final, uh, like, strands of blood, like, up out of the bowl and presses uh, send on their Skype call to Dr. Aluso. <laughs> yeah, you hear, like, the Discord call connect. Uh, and <laughs> Dr. Aluso forms, right? You see, like, facial features and, like, hair tufted up uh, out of the water. And they go, up. oh, uh, Oka, hello, this is odd. Why do I have a 360-degree view of the... I'm getting better at it. And you can sense that Dr. Aluso is impressed, even though you can't see the exact, like, specificities of their face because it's still made of, like, blood water, right? Ah, good, good, Hitsagatin. Good to see you again. You remember me, yes, from the bath? Ah, uh, yes, of course. How could I forget? It is an honor to see all of you. Hello, uh, my name is Dr. Hitsagatin Aluso. Um, I suppose I'm here to represent the Paragons as a seat at the table, even though I myself am not a paragon, but I would argue that makes me unbiased instead of, good, let's begin. And Toktoa just sort of cuts Dr. O off. So, some of you may still be confused about the purpose of this alliance of the eight. Well, let me make it clear. We have three directives. The first and most important one is to restore Andake to the way she was before the Cataclysm. I think we can all agree that's the most important thing here, if that's even possible. Our second directive is, of course, to protect and advance our mutual interests as the chosen stewards of Andake. And last, but certainly not least, our purpose is to oversee the activities of the Paragons as they attempt to recruit god shards. And hereafter. How are y'all responding to that? V, oh gosh, that's... If you were sitting right next to V, you would see her hand on her staff, like, chiding real hard at that last directive. And I think Rev actually, like, maybe puts a hand on V, like, she can sense, like, the anger and frustration. Uh, I think V looks at all of, like, the heads of state, so to speak, and kind of, I think, just lets out a loud laugh at that point. And then you see her, like, stomping down on the impulse to want to say something more. I think it's also Oka who, like, shoots V a look out of the corner of their eye as she laughs. I think that we've had plenty of discussions about this before, I'm sure. As Oka nods, I think your language could use some work, but we can all agree that restoring Andake to balance is the most important thing that we are all, and they kind of cast a sidelong look at V, working toward. I'm glad we're on the same page then, Paragon. With all due respect, we do have names, and I would beseech you to honor them. We are not merely paragons. We are people as much as anyone at this table. Certainly. It goes in two directions, you see. I am Toktoa, but I am also Kagan. Xiongzhen is Xiongzhen, but she is also the Emperor Dream Blessed, Lord of Ten Thousand Years. I ask that you, uh, grow thicker skin. 
Mania's mouth twitches into what was almost a snarl at that. <laughs> Is that official advice for us? He's taking minutes. <laughs> uh, let's call it a friendly advice off the record. V is like really starting to like chuckle to herself at that comment. Um, but she's still holding, she's got something waiting to explode, but she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it right now. Cutting in is actually Consul Batavall, uh, the shark-headed consul of uh, Suraksha in the Republic of Tomad. They cut in and they say, actually, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, but... I have a piece of news that I think is quite pressing and urgent that everyone should be aware of. It's a little bit of a subject change, but it's important. The Chrysalis delegates that were traveling with my group are gone. I think they escaped during the mayhem. Well, that comes as no fucking surprise. When I elbows Oka. That comes as no surprise. <clears throat> Uh, yes, yes. Before your group arrived here, the Emperor was so generous as to illuminate us about the identities of those behind the attempt on their life. The Chrysalis, it appears, are in league with the dark forces threatening our realm, and so we have a common enemy, yes? I can very much agree with that one. Consul Batavall snaps their hammer-headed gaze to you, V. And I think, like, we get a flash of, like, you, like, in her office, like, way back in Arc 1, where you said, like, the chrysalis had, had helped quell the rage, right? She sat there and, like, nodding, and, like, we snap back here, and their, like, eyes narrow. Do, does V perceive that? I, I assume she Yes, you do. That. Yes, you do. <laughs> all right, all right, look. And I think V starts to stand up again, a little slow. Uh, little re holding on to the staff, and then when she's up, she's up, she's doing good. Look, the chrysalis is the most superficial part of the problem. They're a problem, but I have been to where this real danger lurks on another plane of existence. It was unbelievable power, and the more we sit here bickering, the longer it has to get stronger, and stronger, and all of its little tendrils of cross and dake, it's not only the chrysalis, are just going to get stronger and stronger, and the more we bicker, the more you're just giving this thing more power. And the only thing that saved my life was Skad and Nectis. The only thing that will save us are these god shards. We can't be bickering and playing games here at this table. We've got to get these god shards right now into their proper paragons, and we have got to stop this thing before it gets too strong. Consul Batavall responds, I agree. I think I can speak for everyone when I say that our people and Andake are our number one concern. But, um, V, not all of us are so lucky as to have literal gods inside of our souls to protect us when, ah, uh, things go awry. And you would do well to remember that your actions as a paragon have consequences for other people. Yes, yes they do. Scott and Nectis, risk and reward. I have now seen the stranger and I've seen where it is. I you, have- You what? 
Yes, when I disappeared for a little bit. Yeah, I was face-to-face uh, -face with a million eyes ripping me apart. That's why my body hurts a little bit, okay? And not only that, I have seen the chrysalis. I knew what they were up to before anyone. The reason I told you that they were good and to be trusted is because they had to think, at least at that moment in time, that I had a good relationship with them. I had more information. Everything I do I, has gotten me more information than all of you. And I've, I normally wouldn't be so free with this information. But for the first time in my life, I know that whatever petty little grievances I have in this world don't matter anymore. We have got to work together. The Emperor cuts in, raises their chin, and says, I, I think, understand very intimately the importance of knowledge. I also understand that all knowledge comes with a price. And sometimes we pay that price, but other times other people do. I appreciate the sacrifices you have made in your quest for knowledge for all of us, V, so far. But now we're not just working as solo agents. We have to work together. Consul Bhattaval, I am currently carrying the god shard of Vinash in my body, though I am not the paragon of Yudabathi. My travels, my intention is to go back to Dabathati and I would be happy to rectify some of our past mistakes regarding the chrysalis while I'm there. Toktoa Kagan cuts in before the console can respond. <laughs> well, why don't you just send your own militia down into wherever the chrysalis are headquartered, seize all their properties, squash whatever little monsters they're cooking up in there, grab whoever's in charge, and interrogate them. I don't get what the problem is. The console says, it's complicated. The people of Dabathati, there is much popular support for the chrysalis because of various reasons. And she shoots a glare at V. We can't just storm their headquarters without the people rioting. We would be more than happy to have you assist us. In retrospect, I assume that's what the rage was. Oka nods. Huh. Can't believe we just thought that it was ambient magic. But at the time, we didn't know anything at all. Consul, with all due respect, why not just tell the people? <sighs> well, I suppose there's a similar question for all of us. How much of this will we share with the people of Endake? That the Paragons are back? That god shards are creating part of the unnatural phenomena threatening our homesteads? That there is this entity, this stranger that resides in another plane that has caused the cataclysm, who wants to do this to us for reasons we can't comprehend? How much of this do we tell our people? And I think Oka actually looks at Dr. Aluso for the answer. Dr. Aluso's fingers are steepled. People don't, uh, people don't respond to facts. They respond to feelings. That's something I have learned the hard way over and over again. And they look at, like, each of the leaders as, like, the unspoken truth of the fact that Dr. Luso tried to warn them. Sort of settles over the room, but none of them heeded their warnings. Here's what I think will happen if everyone in Andake knows everything. There will be chaos. Some will rise to the occasion. Some will rally. Others will take advantage of the occasion. Some will seek to destroy the chrysalis, just like us. Some will seek to use them 
for their own gain. And so, I think, there is risk and reward to both sides of the equation. I think V uh, would want to interject, just in the spirit of transparency, in the championship, they all know that I'm their paragon. They witnessed me becoming it. There's no hiding it. And I just want to put it out there, I think it is important that perhaps it's not that we tell them everything, but perhaps we have a very strong campaign that the Paragons do exist and we are these champions of restoring Endake, but maybe that's all the information. We're just selective about our information. I agree. People need hope. If we tell them that there's a monster, and Oka's breath kind of catches in the words, something waiting in a different plane to devour the entirety of Endake, people will fall to chaos. But if people know that the Alliance exists, that Paragons exist, they'll have hope. Perhaps that's a stronger fight than panic. In the interest of preserving the safety of everyone in this room and the three we have yet to find and meet, I would beseech us not to tell the whole world the location of every Paragon at all times. We have, more times than I can count, been ambushed, had attempts on our lives, been caught, captured, nearly killed, because the people who seek to destroy Andake, the people who worship the stranger, see us as a threat to everything that they are working for. The people need hope, and I wonder if this alliance, letting everyone know, would not be a safe first step for everyone. Oka touches part of their robes at this and their shirt, where I think that they've been wearing the chisel with their own soul on it as a necklace, like deep underneath their robe, and they can kind of, they like feel the bar as Manaya speaks. The emperor speaks up and says, whatever narrative we present the people, we have to be in control of it. We have to present a positive, united front. I agree. The Alliance of the Eight should be public information. Everyone should know that the leaders of every nation of Endake are working together to fix this. That, by itself, will breed hope. But we only have six out of eight paragons identified and working together in this room. I don't think we should reveal that paragons exist and are among us until the other two have been found. Any objections? V thinks about it for a while, but then shakes her head now. Good. Uh, I have a question. And Kane's feet are up on, like, the war table, and they've been, like, popping grapes into their mouth, like, this entire time. And just sort of, like, looking and, like, not saying anything. But they, like, draw their feet down and straighten. They wink at Yoka uh, as they straighten up. And they say, so, uh, who's in charge of the Alliance? I mean. And Kane's eyes sort of fall on Toktoa. Is it you because you made this whole shindig? Or will it be the emperor because they're not just in charge of too long, they're also a paragon? Or will it be me because I'm the hottest one here? Or is there other, another kind of metric by which we're gauging this? Is that why you were having this measuring contest earlier? Oh, Cardu, Cardu, Cardu. Don't ask questions you can't handle the answers to. Ugh, Kane. I nominate... Dr. Aluso. 
neither a world leader nor a paragon, the person who warned us of the cataclysm in the first place, the person who tried to help everyone who's been working on this for years, leagues ahead of all of us. If anyone is to preside over these meetings, it should be them. I agree. They act as a reservoir of knowledge gathered from the eight nations, settled in a relatively neutral space near the Euclean chasm, which I've heard you have some suspicions of, but we can approach that topic later. I don't know if they should lead the meetings. We are all leaders here and representatives of many people. But for matters that are not readily and speedily agreed upon, I think the decision should fall to them. The tiebreaker. The ninth of the eight. Taktoa sort of ripples her fingers on like the mahogany of the war table. And it is Lord Henka Oju who speaks up, raises her painted face, opens her uh, crimson daubed lips and says, I think we should put it to a vote. Who should be in charge of us? All those in favor of Dr. Eluso. And they look around and go down the line. It starts with the emperor. The emperor pauses. Your mother, father, Oka, looks at you and raises their hand in support. And then we go to Taktoa, who crosses her arms to vote against it. And then we go to Elder Pohaku. You did try to warn us, and I've heard good things about your work in Kuvi Springs. And they raise a hand. And then we go to Duchess Starwing. We need a leader, now more than ever. And she also raises a hand. And we go to Consul Bataval. <sighs> I'm sorry, but I can't vote in favor of a tiebreaker. That's just not how things work in the Republic, and I don't think that's how things should work here either. And she keeps her hand down. We go to Princess Kekoa, who looks around, finally her gaze settles on Dr. Luso and says, I remember your name. You tried to warn my mother, I think, but the URL, they... And she pauses and just nods and lifts a hand in support. Uh, and then we go to Kane, who goes, ha 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 ha! They like uh, toss a grape into their mouth and op- like ra- raise a hand. And then we pan finally back to, I think, Lord Henka of Oju, who smiles and raises a hand as well. It appears that a majority of the vote goes to Dr. Eluso. Congratulations, you are the ninth seat at our table. The tiebreaker vote. And Dr. Eluso sits there and is like, uh, thank you. Wow, I never expected to be in this position. Um, I will do my best not to disappoint any of you. And Taktoa goes, huh, you better not. Anyway. There's one last thing we should do to make sure we're all on the same page here, hmm? An oath of fealty to the Alliance. And she steps up toward the table and draws her scimitar. And she points it into the center of the table and says, Forendake. And going down the table, I think starting with the Emperor, who unsheaths Dream Hunter, and we see like the runes glow ambiently, and she points the sword down and says, Forendake, 
And then we go to Consul Bataval, who draws a longsword strapped to their back, puts it in for Endake. We go to Kane, who goes, oh, I didn't know we had to bring a cool, sexy weapon. Uh, <laughs> they draw a dagger and they point it into the center for Endake, darlings. Uh, and then we go, we go all the way to like, we go to like Lord Henka Oju, who draws like a thin rapier for Endake. Uh, we go to Elder Pohaku, who draws, I think, a carving knife and points it in for Endake. We go to Princess Kikoa, uh, who draws this like uh, Aleo Mano, which is sort of like a curved kind of like almost like scimitar like thing studded with shark teeth. She puts it into the center and says, for Endake. And then it goes to, I think, the four of you, starting with V. V thinks about this for a long time. She has made so many bad oaths <laughs> in the recent times, but uh, she finally pulls out a gold coin, flicks it in the air, goes up into the middle of the table, lands, it spins around a little bit, finally lands on heads up for Endake. <laughs> and I think we go now to Dewey. Dewey looks at Kane and Taktoa, a little bit hesitant to put himself in a... Polycule? No, it's just into a, and then my brain immediately went to polycule, and I was like, ah! <laughs> Hesitant to align himself with these two, uh, he draws his wrench, I think, and sheepishly slides it towards the middle for Andake. And then we pan over to Manaya. Manaya draws her axe in one swift motion. It cuts through the air hammer side down and it goes and it's about to hit the table not half an inch above it it stops Borondake. go to oka now oka's like are you serious i have to bleed for this Ugh. and they summon a culling edge and their blade kind of just like it uh, it automatically does their crimson right so it is already on fire like this like heat like ripples up and off their arm and just kind of like extends into the middle of the table, this blade of black and red blood on fire because they're extra. Frondake. Rev throws out a hand, shimmering into existence as Grim, like with like shadows rippling off of the, the handle as she puts the scythe down gently. Frondake. And Dr. Aluso goes, uh, I suppose I should do this too. Um, and you see them like summon like through like the blood and water. Like it seems like they're doing it actually on their side. They summon out of nowhere like a, a blade without a handle, just a blade in thin air. And that's sort of like glowing ambiently blue. And they place it like kind of like face down, almost looks like a psychic spike or something. They place it face down and point it toward the center. For Endake. And closing out the circle is Duchess Starwing. Uh, the representative from the Court of Ravens, the beginning and end of all things. And she, like, holds out a hand and sort of, like, rotting itself into existence out of nowhere is this, like, wooden staff curling with, like, winter petals. Puts it toward the center and says, For Endake. And I think on the image of all of you holding your weapons toward the center of this war room table, pledging your fealty to the Alliance and to the protection and betterment of Endake, we cut the scene. We open now 
on a hawthorn tree. A well-loved tree that has stood there for generations. Tall, thick trunk, weathered, gnarled branches, bright berries brimming crimson amongst the leaves, now all smashed and fallen on the ground, coated underneath the first dusting of winter snow. And that, in its shade, is where we find you, Oka. Oka is loitering, as is their way. I think they have kind of this like thick black uh, cloak on that has this black fur all around because they fucking hate winter. And they are very bitterly, I think, bitter, cold, bitter Oka standing with their back against the bark of the hawthorn tree, smoking a hand-rolled cigarette. As the smoke from your cigarette curls up into the frosty morning air, we see that it goes up, up, up along the side of a pagoda. Uh, with these beautiful roofs, these eaves curling outward, painted silver and vermilion, curl up, 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 up. And we see it like the smoke drift past like the top window uh, with this wood lattice window and this like glass pane of, of course, where Halo, the dream prophet, resides. And as the smoke like washes past her window, we hear like a creak. And Oka, you see silhouetted against this like circular opening. Halo pokes her head out. Her face is kind of flushed a little bit from, I think, the warmth of inside. Uh, pale skin tinged with pink, those connected horns, the white hair ruffling out from behind her, the tufted tail. She's draped in like uh, her morning robes. She's looking around and then her eyes, her pink eyes fall down and on you. Oka. Hey, you want to go cause some trouble? I think we cut to dip, 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 tap, tap, tap. Halo coming like down the stairs, out of like the front door, down the steps, brushes some royal guards aside, right? Who like nod and like step away from her. She hustles toward you. And you see that she's got like slightly dark under eyes. Uh, her eyes look kind of puffy. She looks like she's been crying a lot uh, over the past couple of days. It's been very stressful for everyone, right? Especially her. Comes up to you. Oh, it's so cold out here now. Hi, Oka. Where's your robe? And Oka unclips theirs and tosses it around her shoulders also. Oka, you'll be cold. But she doesn't resist at all. <laughs> she like takes the robe and like snuggles into it. And you see her like bend her face down. She breathes in your scent uh, through the robe. <sighs> uh, and she like catches herself doing it and looks kind of embarrassed. Um, I'm sorry. I haven't reached out these past couple of days ever since... Well, everything. Uh, no, no, you've been busy. Everyone's been busy. I just... I wanted to come and make sure you were okay. I'm... She pauses. Well, as okay as you can expect when my to-be-wed is exiled and monsters attack the wedding hall, my best friend from childhood kills two people for the first time in their life, that was your first time killing people, right? Yeah, uh, well, yes. At least you didn't have to marry him. I feel like that would have been worse. You know, of all the ways to crash a wedding, okay? <laughs> I didn't crash the wedding. Somebody else did. Okay, Dewey's friends crashed the wedding. Our healers are doing their best, but that neurotoxin, it was sophisticated. More than that, I think there's been some sort of psychological trauma dealt to Dewey as well, but 
you're not here about Dewey, are you? Well, I care about the little guy, but I'm here for you. You want to know what I'm going to do now, now that my future is no longer written in stone. I always thought that dream prophets should be able to choose whatever they want to do. You already know so much about prophecy, why can't you just make your own? <laughs> A common misconception of the lay person when it comes to dream interpretation. Didn't you stay awake during this part of the class? I thought the point was that we were falling asleep. That was the point of dream interpretation class, is that you weren't awake. Oka, you always know how to talk yourself out of trouble, or into it, more likely. No, dream prophet, everyone thinks that because we know the future, we get to choose what happens. But I envy other people. People who don't know their future, who don't know how to read it. Because not knowing, I think, in a way, is true freedom. I am bound by fate to follow the path the river has set forth for me, because I know there will be consequences if I choose elsewise. Because I know that there are consequences, I dare not tempt them, and so I am bound to the current. Are you talking about the prophecy of the Paragons? Not just the prophecy of the Paragons, Oka. I'm talking about everything. Every decision I've ever had to make in my life has whittled my choices down to this exact moment. And now, now that Prince Mo is no longer in the cards, I, I guess I'm at a divergence. And I don't really know what comes next. Me neither. I don't really know what comes next either. I know what's at the end. Eventually, but come on, Halo, you could never even decide what you wanted to eat for dinner. This is, <laughs> you get to choose, Halo. You get to choose. You are the emperor's most trusted advisor. You are the dream prophet of the palace of Tulong. Do something for yourself for once, please. Halo looks up into your eyes. And she presses forward and kisses you. Um, <laughs> uh, CXEX has stopped working. Oka XEX also has stopped working. It takes a second, but they do eventually kiss back and then they pull away. I, uh, hey, what? <laughs> that, huh? Huh? It's okay. I know. I, I know this can't be. But. I think that was the first choice I made for myself in a long time. You know that I've been in love with you for my entire life, right? Me too. Come on. Do you want to go see if the Eighth Wife is sleeping with any more spies? Sure. <laughs> and Halo tags along with you. And I think Oka would take her hand and lead her along, shivering even as they go, as she wears their jacket. And the prince and the prophet, I think, run off from under the shade of the hawthorn tree, leaving footprints in the snow. And now we cut as like a flurry of snow comes down to the frosted window of a tavern in Dokao. And we push through this window, push through the swinging, creaking sign of the drunken crane to see V. What are you up to, V? I think V 
is sitting in her chair at the bar. She's improving. You can still see the threads on her skin, but you she's improved dramatically. Uh, she's actually wearing kind of a return to form. She's wearing uh, her her vest and like white blouse. She's you know she's toned down V, not Paragon V. She's watching everyone drinking, be merrily oblivious. Some people are, you know, maybe drinking because of all the chaos that's happened in the kingdom and the empire the last few days. But uh, some people are being merry. Some people are, you know, relationships are developing. All she is just seeing all of like life being represented in this bar right now, and you can feel like V's like her heart is in another place, or it's like she's she's only kind of floating there, and eventually she stands up and may and shouts. Everybody out! Bars closing. Get out of here! Eh, hey, fuck you! You know, some of them splash beer at you, but eventually, like, they all like start to filter out. Especially because behind the bar, the barkeep stands up. This red-skinned tiefling woman, scars on her throat and on like the open part of like her tunic, right, her chest. This like long wavy hair. She stands up and says, "Yep, you heard her. Get the fuck out of my tavern." Ah, Lotus, but come on, I'm just another drink on the house and- Uh, 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 get out, you've had too much, out, 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 there's another tavern right across the street, I know they don't serve as good scorpion beer as I do, but you gotta get out. And like all of like the bar goers like filter it out, they tromp out, they spill beer, they drop like dumplings onto the ground and then like the door slams shut. And it's just you and Lotus. V pulls out a little satchel of gold coins. We'll say 25 gold coins. And it's actually got um, the like the symbols of the betting parlor that she won some of this money and she lays it on the on the bar and she's like, that is for your lost business for the night. But <laughs> I couldn't wait till you close to talk to you. Uh, she takes the, the gold and says, that's it? Look, I know you actually owe like triple that, but still, come on, don't push. Oh, you mean, no, that's what, that's not all I want to say. No, 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 I've, I've got things to say. All right. Lotus puts the coin, like, behind the counter. She pulls up, like, a, a martini glass, pours you, like, a virgin, virgin martini, slides it to you. And she sort of, like, puts an elbow, like, on the bar behind, like, across from you, lowers her gaze to look at you, and says, There have been... Crazy rumors about what's happened in the palace, V. Everyone's waiting for an official response from the crown. But you know, don't you? I was there. I saw everything. And I saw some things that nobody else but me saw. At least people who are still alive. But I can't tell you anything. I can't tell a single word of what, I, what happened if the Emperor decides to tell you all something, then I'll leave that to the Emperor, but I want I want nothing more to be able to tell you, but I'll just have to wipe your memory away. And I'm, I'm sick of memories getting wiped away. I understand. Your girlfriend, uh, when she came over to talk to me, she's very, very, well, that doesn't matter. Um, I have had time to process. I've had time to think. And I know, V, I know that you and Rev will be together at the end. Whatever that means. But I want you 
for however much longer I have left because there's something special about you, V. I've known this ever since the first night we met. There's something about you that's just kissed by fate. You'll outlive me. I know. And I'm okay with that. But I... I want you until then. In whatever way that means. And I know you have to leave now. I get it. I get it. But when you're done with whatever journey you're embarking on, when all of this is over, when you do whatever it is that you have to do to save Antake, she lifts up the bar, goes around to where you're sitting by the stool, and she gets down on one knee. When all this is over, V, will you marry me? Oh, this is tragic. V just starts crying. Lotus, Lotus. If everything goes the way I want, you're going to outlive me by a long shot. <laughs> what are you talking about, V? Rev didn't tell you what has to happen, did she? But what has to happen? V, Vasanti, what's wrong? Uh, v is like calming through her tears. In order to save Ndake, I've got to die. I only have a short amount of time left. Uh, still on one knee, Lotus takes this in. Like looking up at you, you looking down at her, your eyes brimming with tears. And you feel Scott and Nectis straining against what feels like the breaking of your heart. You know, you feel them, like, pulsating against that pain searing through you. Lotus looks up at you and just, then will you marry me now? And you feel Scott v. and Nectis, like, straining with that promise, right? The thread of that promise is, like, glowing inside your sternum to follow mm -hmm. your heart. V feels that. V says, it is so unfair that I... Spent so long forgetting some of the best memories of my life. What, you know? I feel like I really... <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't. I, uh, v is struggling to... And then, like, she feels one more, like, pulse of that heart in Scott and Nectis. And it's just like, yes! 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 I... Let's go! <laughs> and... I mean, V then, like, th her heart is also sees Rev in her mind. And uh, V is just like, risk and reward, baby, and goes down and gives Lotus a big kiss and just yeah. tears falling yep. down her cheeks. Lotus catches you and kisses you and, like, stands up, right, and, like, kisses you, like, deeply and lovingly and holds you in her arms and you realize that your your face is wet not just with your own tears but with her tears as well right um as we i think we like fade to black on that and there's a lot you have to tell lotus about your destiny and everything but at least for that night v and that night alone you just are happy you're just able to put all that aside and just be happy with your fiance and now, as like the snow flurries against the window and washes that scene away, 
we push in through a different window as like the room inside pulls into a sharp focus to see Dewey resting in a bed. There's like a Uhanian machine kind of like beeping nearby. Beep, 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 beep. And like some like healers hovering around you, like two long in, like the best two long in healers of the royal palace in this like private medical ward, uh, hovering over you, like grinding up poultices, like handing you like potions to drink, you know, like checking your temperature and like giving you like hot tea and like putting like thick socks on your feet, you know, like this kind of traditional medicine. Like these like disgusting, absolutely disgusting drinks, right? Like one of them hands you like a handful of just like tiny little black pills, tells you to swallow it with hot water, you know? And like, they're like sort of hovering over you. And there's like big like diagrams of like a person's body with like all the nerve endings and all the pressure points and whatnot, all the pl- places where tea can get blocked up. We pan down all these posters, past all of like the two bustling nurses by you, onto you. Dewey, uh, how are you doing? Uh, not great. Uh, certainly not having such a cool romantic time as some of his friends are. I think he's taken off the armor that he's been wearing this whole time, and it's like sitting on a chair nearby, the armor and the gauntlet. And he's turned sideways in the bed, back towards the door, and he's sort of reading a book, book with well-worn pages, as these healers sort of bustle around him. And it's the, it's the book he checked out in Tabothati about what he would need to disarm this blotch. <laughs> As you're reading the book, you hear like the door shutter open and all the nurses let on, oh, emperor. And you like hear like a flutter of robes as all the healers around you fall to their knees to like bow in front of Oka's mother father striding in in these like azure robes with like silver stitching wearing this crown that's like covering her face. She raises a hand and just says, leave us. And the healers all nod and they scramble out of the room, like immediately, no questions asked, right? And the door closes. And it's just you and the emperor. They stride toward you with your back still turned to them, I think. And we, the audience, see the emperor reach into the sleeves of their robe and pull out a shard of black jade shot through with veins of gold, which is an exact replica of like a picture that you have open in your book. And she says, black jade from the sacred grove. You need this, don't you? How did you know? I have my way of knowing things. It's kind of my job. And she like kneels down like next to your bed. Here. Thank you. I just, I just wanna, you know, get this thing off my arm and go back to my family. That's a sophisticated device. I can tell. It's deceptively simple. It has both arcane and mechanical formations. Yes, uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. I hope this piece of jade will help disarm it for you. Thank you. Again. Cardu, I know how it feels to be betrayed by someone I thought was my friend. Guilian and I, even if we were never truly in love, I still considered her a close friend, and for a number of years she was my best friend, and even my only friend. My heart still breaks for what I had to do to her. But just because we're betrayed 
doesn't mean we were in the wrong for trusting them. That's on them. It is also kind of on me. Like, it's happened before. I trusted the wrong person, and the thing we made together ended up screwing the world over. And at some point, it's got to be, like, the common thread here is me. Maybe. And I sense you're on a quest for redemption? I don't want to be on that quest. I don't want to be on any quest anymore. I just... I don't want to be on this Paragon quest. I don't want to be on this taking back what I did with the URL quest. I don't want to be on this take this watch off my wrist quest, but that's the one I got it. I probably am sticking to for now. Do you play Mahjong? Uh, no, if you're, if you're looking for a match, you'd be better off with uh, no. our good friend V. I just mean, we don't get to choose the hand we're dealt initially. None of us do. What we do choose is what we do with that hand. I got dealt the gift of ingenuity, is what people called it. And look at what I've done with it. It seems like my choices are all... all inevitably end up being wrong. You know what I see when I look at you, Cardu? I see a man who loves his family. I see a man with a mind as sharp as a knife, who sometimes uses it to cut, and other times uses it to protect. I see a man with a heart in the right place, who has been taken advantage of in the past, and who has made some dubious choices, perhaps, but who is always committed to righting those wrongs. History remembers our mistakes. It does. We can't escape that, but it also remembers, more than that, our endings. You and I, Cardu, were cut from the same cloth. All of the Paragons are. We are destined to die to protect Endake from the stranger. That's how the people will remember you. That's how your family will remember you. They won't remember you as a failure, Cardu. They'll remember you as a savior. Now the hard part is getting there. Uh, yeah, it only works out that way if I'm able to capture the god shard, you know? Uh, what the Kagan asked of me. Hmm. The Kagan is a interesting woman. She is someone who has, I think, overcome her inability to believe in herself through sheer grit and determination. And now she makes up for that in spades. I think you can too. Perhaps she can teach you something. But I think you can also teach her something. She's a forceful woman. A strong personality. Don't let her walk all over you. The loudest voices, I found, sometimes have the softest hearts. And the strongest hearts sometimes have the softest voices. You're putting me in the latter category, right? Just to be clear? That's a choice only you can make. Oh gosh. More choices. Don't you have, like... I mean, what's gonna happen with your royal court now that the top block has been knocked off? I'm, I'm not good at this. The second wife remains the second wife. There will be an absence where the first wife used to be. Oka 
At that, the Emperor's voice falters a little, but they, like, regain their strength. And I are also destined to die. Which means, of course, that the next Emperor of Too Long, after we save Endake, will be Princess Guo Xiang Ru, the fifth-born. <laughs> I truly never could have predicted that. She's a smart girl. She'll do well. She has always treated Oka kindly. But these are kingdom affairs. I needn't bore you with the details. Focus on your recovery, Cardu. I'll try. I have no idea. I have no idea. They have no idea what what toxins, what poisons I drink. Uh, so it's sort of a... It's a mess. I've heard the reports from my doctor. Here's my advice. Uh, and they stand up and, like, put, like, a hand on your shoulder. The neurotoxin is still in your system. It will run its course. It may or may not leave on its own, but I have a feeling it won't. There is folk knowledge amongst two longins about the best way to root out a disease, an illness like this. It depends on the strength of the victim's character. I believe in you, Cardu. I know you can get this poison out of you. The only question is, do you believe that? I don't know. It all depends on uh, how things go with Galtanger, I guess. Just remember, Cardu, you're more in control than you think. And the Emperor sort of like pats you on the shoulder, like gets up fully, and turns to leave. And at the door before they leave, they turn and they say, Good luck with everything, Cardu. I hope you can make your family proud. That's all fathers want. And they turn and they leave, closing the door behind them. And under his breath, Deary says, See you soon. And now I think we like pull away from this window, right? Like away from the beeping machines and the graphs of human bodies and like the kind of like sour smelling poultices sitting on uh, the desks near you pull away from this medical ward, from this like big brick building with its like sprawling roof. We pan off to the side. We travel over the palace grounds, over these like beautiful manicured hedges with this slight dusting of snow on like these fawning open petals, right? And we travel to a particular garden, dappled in snow with uh, the last remnants of autumnal pollen still shimmering in the air, a thin glaze of ice glimmering on the surface of a nearby pond where we see fish swimming underneath its surface. To find Manaya. Manaya, what are you up to in this garden? Manaya has plucked one of the frosted over leaves from a nearby tree and is sitting on a bench staring at it, waiting for the inevitable. Part of her hoping it never happens. The cold frost that has rhymed over the surface of the bench sort of seeps, I think, through where you're sitting as you twirl this like leaf in your hand, feeling like the, co the cold hard stem rotting itself over the calluses of your fingers. And then you see like the leaf kind of like shrivel up and like the frost like cracks off and the leaf like kind of like withers into nothing as like you feel like the presence of the princess rise up inside you and like sort of consume the leaf as like part of tribute for talking with you like feel this presence rising up within you like heat ballooning upward 
and you hear a voice. Hi, Manaya. Hi, Princess. Manaya gets up and starts walking. You wanted to talk. I do. Do you want to talk? Manaya says out loud the word yes, but the word no rings out in her soul. Manaya, I... I... And then it all, like, comes spilling out. Like, the princess has just been holding on to these next words for a long time, and they just come gushing out. And she just sort of says, like, stumbling over herself, right? Like a rushing summer river. Why? Manaya, why do you keep... Why do you... Why do you keep hitting your friends? During Hot Pot, a week or two ago, you... You hit V because you were mad at her for putting herself in danger, and then... But that's not... You've hit V before. And Oka back in the court, and I don't- Fee and Oka and, and Dewey and Rev, they're just doing what you want to do, right? They're just trying to protect you, trying to protect their friends, trying to protect Antake, everyone who lives here, so why do you keep hurting them instead of being angry at the person who actually deserves it, which is me, and the rest of the world that made it this way? Manaya pauses. She stops walking. And back to the princess, she says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be angry. I've never been this angry before in my life. And I don't I don't know what to do with it. And I've I lashed out and I hurt my friends and I want you to be angry, Manaya. You have every right to be angry at me, at Nali, even, at Kahelani, at Napua. We've hidden things from you, Manaya, because we thought you were too young to understand, because we didn't want to look bad in front of you, because we love you so much. And before we had a chance to set things right, the Raven's Eye and the Hydra Flare and... But now they're back. Napua, Kayolani, Nali's gone, but the rest of us are still here. And we still love you, Manaya. We love you so much. And we've made mistakes. We have. And we need to answer for them. And you can't let us off the hook. At the very end of this sentence, almost interrupting her, Manaya's fist slams into a tree. And I think a bunch of leaves start to fall around her as tears stream down her eyes as she yells out loud, screaming into her soul. She says, You think I'm not angry at you? At mother, father, mum? I know you can feel it. You're down there waiting into the depths of my soul where I've been trying to bury this for seven, for seven years. I am so angry and sad and full of regret and doubt and every negative emotion that's out there and i have suppressed them as much as i could for for my friends for my family holding out hope that maybe maybe they could have still still been alive holding out hope that maybe through all the mistakes i've made maybe my friends will still love me maybe Maybe I can save the world, but I held out hope that maybe history would change. Maybe, 
what happened in Oberon didn't happen. Maybe I didn't hit my friends. Maybe, maybe I'm seven years old again. With you and mum, father, mother, playing on the beach, sand castles. Maybe it's all a bad dream. <laughs> but it's not. And I don't know how to accept that. My entire life I have lived trying to be Mahu's good little wave. Trying to go with the flow, do what is right, help others. But I feel it. I feel it. Burning. Deep in my soul. And I am afraid. I'm afraid of the fire. Mahu, she's not just the calm waves, the ocean, the sapphire water, Manaya. She is also the fire. She's also the rage. She's the storm and the reckoning and the destruction of it all. You are too. You're both. You're kind and angry. You're soft and difficult. You are all these complex, conflicted, painful things. That's just part of being a person, Manaya. And it's beautiful. And it's terrifying. And I want you to experience it. I'm so, so sorry we left you on that dock. None of us knew that's what would have happened when we set off on that trip. But now we're back. We can make up for lost time, as long as we still have it. Emanaya, I don't want you to bury your feelings. We're not corpses, not anymore. I want you to just let them wash over you like the ocean. They'll come, and sometimes they'll be so fast and so fierce, you'll gasp for air, but sometimes it'll be nice and soft and gentle. That's how the ocean works. That's how feelings work. Don't try to box the ocean in. <laughs> you know what happens to sailors who try to fight back against the sea. They never win. Ever. You're the paragon of Mahu. Maybe you can hold the tides back a little bit longer than most. But at the end of the day, you'll still explode. That's what I'm afraid of. What if I hurt more people? What if I lash out? What if I hurt someone? What if I... What if I mess up? What if I can't be the paragon of Mahu? What if I have her power bestowed upon me and the first thing I do is... I don't want to kill people. Nobody deserves to die. You're right. Nobody deserves to die. But mistakes happen. Bad choices occur. Something that Kilohana said about how bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. I think she's taking that to the wrong conclusion. But she's right when she says that. Doesn't mean we have to give in to the stranger, to the nothing plane. What it does mean is when we get knocked down, we get back up. When we hurt the people we love, we apologize and we do better. When we make the wrong choice, we learn and we make the right choice next time. I'm not asking you to be perfect, Manaya. I don't want you to be perfect. I want you to give yourself the chance to find out who you really are. Maybe that means accepting that you're angry, and you're dangerous, and you're full of fire. 
And maybe by accepting those dark sides of yourself, you can start accepting the light, too. Manaya, at this point, has collapsed onto the ground next to the self-same tree that she that she punched not a moment ago. The tears have stopped, but the shaking, the trembling does not. And she says, It's going to take some time. We both know that. Suddenly, allowing herself to express emotions you've never expressed before, and controlling them, and allowing them to be... Uh, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to stumble. I said I forgive you and mum back then on the Owlbear in the championship because that's all I know how to do when people do bad things. I don't want to punish people because I don't know how to hold back. So I will take your words to heart and I thank you for all of this, for everything, for staying with me when I'm sure you could have left at any point. I only hope that I'll have a hand to hold on the inside on the long journey to finding out who I really am. Of course, Manaya. Nali and Kahelani and Napua, no matter what, we will always love you. We will always be there for you. Because a parent's love is unconditional. And you feel like the leaves on your cape like flutter. <laughs> As you feel like some of the magic that the princess was holding back from you, I think ever since, ever since the owlbear, right, in the championship, like, start to, like, seep, like, back into your system. Like, this warm golden blossom, like, just a trickle at first, right, starts to, like, pour down through your sternum as you feel the princess, like, tentatively start to open herself back up to you. And on, like, maybe, like, your eyes starting to glow just a little and, like, the cape, like, rustling down your back. We're going to flutter away to a new day. I think this next scene finds us several days later. In sort of like a mirror of when the dignitaries first came into the palace through the main gates, we now see a, a goodbye parade. The gates of the slumbering palace are flung open. Commoners are pressed up against the ceramic tile. Uh, guards are like making sure that no one's up to any funny business. There's like a big wide path paved open for all the dignitaries to have like a goodbye parade outward, right? Out of the palace, out of Dokao and escorted all the way to the edge of the dream shield. We see now uh, the Hyens sort of gathered together in that like exact same mirror of where you were when they first entered, as well as like all of the other spouses and their children. There's a noticeable absence of the former Queen Mo and her family and her retinue, right? Uh, but there's no like gap where they used to be. It's just sort of like everyone just presses in to fill the space, right? And like sitting on the throne elevated above that beautiful pond sort of at the end of the procession uh, is the emperor again. And she sat there sort of like seeing all the dignitaries off. Uh, so as the dignitaries and their retinue begin to like filter out like down this parade, we hear like, um, I think we hear like gongs going. We hear like lion dancers like dancing, like drums going ding, 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 right? Like as everyone's leaving. And I think uh, Oka, Manaya, Dewey, V, and Rev, as you're standing there with uh, the Hien family, you see like a group of like lion dancers that look kind of like uncoordinated, right? They're like in like this like big lion and the, the puppet eyes are going like up and down in like, like mismatched ways. And like the butt area seems to be 
Buffy like uh, dis disconnects from like the head area and like runs to catch up. And like as it disconnects, you hear uh, Dewey, your heart stops as you hear a voice go, slow down, Lore. <laughs> as like Quayleheart is like running, you see, you hear Quayleheart's voice on the butt end. And like you all see like this green skinned tiefling's legs sort of kick around as like Lore is trying to pilot the head of the lion. And sort of like caught in the middle with their pants down basically is Scrum, the goblin, who's like, ah! Scram! Heart crashers! Evict! Uh, and Lore goes, that's not the name I said we wanted! As they like start running toward the gate and like a bunch of royal guards go, hey, you're not, you're not the lion dancers we hired! And they like start running after the, the heart crashers. <laughs> they have to cameo in every arc, I think. <laughs> Oka, Oka leans down as like, isn't that your boyfriend, Dewey? <laughs> Dewey takes a deep breath. And then with all the strength he can muster in his recovering body, shoves Oka. <laughs> Oka laughs good-naturedly and goes, I'm not going to push you back because you look broken, but I'll let you have that win. <laughs> that's, that's fair. What are they doing here? Lying, dancing their way out of our hearts, I guess. <laughs> Probably trying unsuccessfully to... Live up to one of our own here, Manaya nudges V. What? What do you? Man, I guess that's valid. On like Coilheart going, run! They're gonna shoot us to death! <laughs> As like the, the line dancers like abscond through the front gates. Uh, we pan like up to, I think, like uh, the emperor who like stands up uh, in front of the throne and like a quiet like settles over everyone. And they like address all of the dignitaries who are grouped up at the base of the pond, right? They haven't left yet, right? But there's a celebration for their goodbye. Emperor raises her hand and addresses the crowd and says, Several nights ago, an attempt was made on my life. They're like addressing Dokao as well, right? Like this is public information now. The culprits have been apprehended and punished, and I would not have made it out safely without the help of every single dignitary here. I am proud to announce that I, Emperor Zhen of Xiong, the dream-blessed Lord of 10,000 years, Daughter of Heaven, am a part of the Alliance of the Eight. We are all eight world leaders banded together, united for a common purpose, to restore Andake to our former glory before the vanishing. And at that, everyone in Dokal starts like cheering. They're like cheering and people are like rattling like bells, like banging on gongs, like tossing flower petals up into the air. Uh, Oka through the crowd, you see your grandpa. <laughs> Uh, Grandpa Hien leaned up against the cane with like the late bloomers, like also standing up like on a platform, like waving from the palace gates, uh, like his like thick eyebrows, like waggling at you and waving wildly. The road ahead will be difficult, that I cannot deny, but there is light and there is hope at the end of our path, and Dake will be restored and like more cheering and more applause and like people banging on things and cheering and laughing and throwing their fists into the air. And like on like the, on the tail end of this, the emperor says, let's thank the dignitaries who came here today and give them a warm send off back home because 
as of today, as of right now, the Dream Shield is no more. And they sort of brandish their hands outward and all of you feel the weave just vibrate around you. Uh, as you don't see it, but you sense some sort of like spiritual pressure, like a pulse bump, like emanate outward from the emperor, right? Uh, and we see like, we cut to like the silent grove where we see like a groups of people like stumbling through the mist and then the mist like just like wipes away. They like gasp awake as they were sleepwalking, right? Like we also see like a dark shadow uh, of a man sort of like hunched on like a branch looking down as Wang Boatian sort of furls his brow as he sees like the dream shield come down. He raises a hand to stop the group of people he's been like trying to like uh, lead through this wood. And then we cut back to the emperor lowering her arms and nodding at the procession. And like the drums start back up again, the correct line dancers start dancing uh, as the dignitaries start to push out of the gate. I think on the way out, Kane is sort of going, thank you, thank you, mwah, mwah. Signature is at the gate, uh, signed memorabilia, and it's sort of like passing out like autographs of themselves. And they sort of pause in front of you, Oka. And they hold out like their arms to like gesture you to come forward. Oga kind of rolls their eyes because they were like, we're not going to have a thing at the gate, right? And Kane was like, we're not going to have a thing at the gate. But now Kane is obviously doing the thing at the gate, so they step forward anyway. Kane pulls you out into the gate in front of full view of Dokao and everyone in the palace and dips you, like kisses you and like dips you. Kane, what is wrong with you? And they like put you back up and they like, like smooth you down and they like kind of like slap their tail in your face. Yeah, love you too. Goodbye, Slumbering Palace. Mwah, mwah. It's been wonderful. Uh, if you want to find me, I'll be in the championship. We have incredible parties, by the way. Yes, incredible. Yes. And like Kane's like sauntering out and like like just like nodding at the public, but they sort of like throw one final look over their shoulder at you, Oka, and they smile. Oka smiles back, uh, despite themselves, I think. They smile back and they kind of just then they realize their entire family is watching them and they scurry back to their entourage. Yaya just goes, you were dating the champion of Nabal? Uh, and they look around to try to see if they could get out of this. No. No. The correct word is are dating, I believe. Is dating the right word for what? Do we? Look, you, shut up. You know what? With the, with the ages of the people here, let's. Yes, they were. They're seeing each other. They are seeing each other in very pleasant ways. We're dating. We're date. We're date. I'm dating the champion of Nabal. Yaya, are you happy? Aww. And Yaya sort of softens and then she goes, Ew, that's gross. Uh, <laughs> and I think, like, we pan away uh, from all the dignitaries processing outside. We pan away from, like, the, the heart. What did I call them? Cart crashers? The heart crashers, like, running, you know, like, through the streets of Dokao being chased by royal guards. And Laura's going, like, this puppet's worth so much money! Like, as they're holding, like, the, the lion puppet, right? Uh, and we pan away, like, up and away from, like, Dokao, right? And, like, we pan up to the, um, the sunless sky, right, with its, like, ever-present gray light. And we watch as the sky sort of, like, turns dark, right? Like, slowly turns dark gray and then black, right, with no stars. And then we like pan back down several nights later to Dokao at night. 
lit up with torches. We see like sort of going through the streets, people from other places. Uh, we see like some Kyrian riders just sort of like on their horses, like like looking at market stalls. We see like a contingent of like refugees uh, from Nepal, like me being like ushered into like temporary housing units. Uh, as the Dream Shield has dropped, people are being reunited with their families who are really caught on the other side of the Dream Shield. We see like many a tearful reunion happening on the outskirts of Dokal, like uh, amidst like the rice paddy fields, like uh, fathers being reunited with uh, mothers, you know, parents parents being reunited with other parents, like children being reunited with siblings. And then we like pan and like sweep forward, up, 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 into the palace gates, right? And we're gonna pan, I think, uh, up to like the central cluster of palatial buildings, the throne room. We're gonna push in through like a wood lacquered lattice window to a specific room adjacent to the throne room. Uh, and we sort of hear like the bustling of voices and like tons of like crowds gathering like beyond the mahogany walls of this dressing room where we see Oka. Oka, I think you are standing in front of like a full length mirror and there are maybe no fewer than half a dozen uh, ladies in waiting bustling around you, like like trying to do makeup, trying to like pull clothes on you, off you. Like one extremely determined old halfling is like trying to scrub your scars off, like off of your body. I said stop, it's a tattoo. It's not going to come off. Yeah. And she like reaches over and like slops up some like gray body paint tries like covering up your tattoo. Would you stop? Just just go. All of you go. Get out. Get out. Get out. I can put on my own clothes, please. <laughs> like the, the servants grumble and grouse and, you know, they turn and they like leave the dressing room, you know, and I think there's like a wooden, like a little like uh, partition set up uh, between where you're currently standing and like the front door uh, of the dressing room. So you don't see them leave, but you hear the door open and creak closed. Oka pauses, takes a deep breath as they are finally alone. And they look at themselves in the mirror. And I think for the first time in a really, really long time, they don't turn away from it. They just kind of consider themselves for a long, long time. The bolts of red through their eye, the new scars, this, this, <laughs> this scar tissue on their chest that just gets deeper and deeper and thicker and somehow worse than it was when they first got here. And they just kind of look at themselves and they like reach out and their fingers like tap the glass, almost like in surprise. And they lower their hand and they start to put their clothes on again. You hear the door creak open once again. I said no more. I don't need body paint. I don't need extra fabric. I don't need anything. Just, I need to be alone, please. Uh, Oka, it's me and Yaya. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shout. Uh, give me one second. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think you like quickly make yourself decent and you like poke your head beyond the partition to see Liangya. Uh, and Yaya, who are sort of standing next to each other. They're both dressed up real nice, like in like nice, like their royal robes of like the Hien family with like the crest, like dangling from like a sash strapped to their waist. Like uh, Liangya has like her hair done in like a very modest updo. Uh, and Yaya has refused to have her hair done. So it's just kind of like hate wire and everywhere, but she's got like makeup on. She's got like this like nice robe on. And Liangya goes, ah, mm. and she like adjusts her glasses. Um. We just wanted to 
we just wanted to come in here before the ceremony and um and Yaya speaks up. We just wanted to say we love you. Uh and Oka comes out from behind the partition fully and walks over to them. I love you too. Both of you. With everything that I have. Okay? Never, ever, ever forget that. Yaya smiles and you see like her eyes start brimming with tears a little. She steps forward and looks at you. She like reaches forward and like grabs like a fistful of like your your robe. Do you do you really have to go? I do. For now. Well, I can come back now. Forever. This isn't the last time that you'll see me. I promise. Good. And it won't be like seven years like last time, right? No. <laughs> no, I I I have an elk now. I can ride I can ride back whenever I want. Ooh, what's its name? Uh, uh, still, uh, Morose is out on that one for now. Uh, Yaya quirks her head inquisitively, uh, but Liangya cuts in and says, You're part of the Alliance of the Eight, right? Everything you do is to try to help Endake? <laughs> Not exactly. Everything that I do is to help you. It's to protect you. Both of you. Always. Well, we don't need no protecting. I've got my big sword. I know, and that's why I had something special made for you, actually. Yaya's eyes, like, widen, like as big as dinner plates. What? What is it? What is it? If you go into my room after the ceremony, my old room, underneath the floorboard just to the left of the bed, you can lift it up. I left something for you in there. Yaya's, Yaya. like, jaw falls open. It's a really, really big sword. Yes! Like, Yaya just lets out this, like, guttural scream of triumph. And, like, turns to, like, run for it. But, like, Yaya goes, uh, and, like, catches Yaya. And she's like, oh, right, okay, yeah. Thank you, I love you. And, like, Yaya runs forward and hugs you and says, I'm not just hugging you because of the sword, though that is part of it. I love you. I love you, too. Remember... You always get to be yourself, yeah, yeah. I want to save Andake for you, not who everyone else wants you to be, okay? Okay. Mm. And she, like, hugs you tighter, and Liangya steps forward, puts down her stack of books, and also, like, hugs, right? We're going to miss you. I'll miss you, too. Write to me and, um, tell me, tell me how you do on your exams. <sighs> I will. I can't believe they're coming up in a week or two. I just hope I crammed hard enough. Liangya, you'll be fine. I passed them. Okay, you're gonna be fine. I know, but I want to be first. Yeah, well, the Hien family is obviously rather ambitious. I believe in you. Thanks, Oka. Come on, Yaya. It's time to get back to our seats. Okay, thanks for the sword. Yeah, from me to you. And you're too... Younger siblings, your sisters, hustle out of the room. Both of them sort of look at you, give you one last look at the door, and they smile brightly. Lelinga, like, adjusts her glasses and smiles tentatively, and Yaya just gives you a big toothy grin, right? And they, they leave. Oka spends some more time in the dressing room getting ready, to the point where I think that they're starting to almost be late, because I think they're still 
Lianya and Sambaya came, but Toya hasn't. And they're waiting there, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, hoping that she might. But I think eventually it gets to the point where they just kind of nod and sigh, know that they can't win every battle. And they stand up and slide the door open. And waiting for you on the other side is Toya, who looks like she like her hand was like raised to knock, and then she up uh, she like lowers it. And she's done up in this like beautiful, elegant, like very modern, like very like hot couture or whatever, like like very forward thinking, like fashion sense of like too long and ladies, right? She's got this like beautiful, like twisted updo, these jewels like dangling and feathers dangling from her hair and like jeweled earrings and like these, this beautiful, like smoky makeup. She's got this like sleek robe on with like the family sash and, uh, Oka. Toya, you you didn't have to get all dressed up for a shadow. No, I I I came to uh I came to apologize. You you don't have to apologize, Toya. No, I I do. I I was such a fool. I was chasing something I thought our family needed to be something. Even before you left, all I ever wanted was respect. Respect from everyone who had ever looked down on us so we could prove them wrong, prove that the Hyuns weren't just commoner trash. But I was wrong. I was so wrong, Oka, and I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, Toya, you weren't wrong. You were hurt, okay? Monsters lash out when they're hurt. There are very few things in a dake that occur naturally that just want pain. Nobody wants to hurt like that. But when we do, we we lash out. We cause the same pain that we feel. I... <laughs> I never blamed you. I never held it against you. Not for the... Never. You're too good for us. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. Queen Moore. Uh, Moore. She wasn't just trying to kill you, was she? The Tilian, I mean. She. She was trying to kill all of us, wasn't she? And you. saved us. That wasn't part of her plan. You're too smart for your own good, Toya. I've suspected as much ever since her exile. Oka, I... And there's like a long pause as like Toya looks directly into your eyes. You see like her eyes are beginning to brim a little bit with tears. I... I could have been her. She was so... ambitious. All she wanted was power. And I... I can empathize with that. I almost became her, Oka. A version of her. What if... What if that's who I am? At the end of the day. Just a... Sad, ambitious, scheming woman. If anything in our childhood still remains the same, you scheme much better than she does. First of all. Toy, I... That's not who you are. And if that's not who you want to become, then 
don't. You get to choose who you are. You do. Change hurts. It hurts to be. It hurts to change. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's worth it to be the person you want to be instead of the person you think you're supposed to be. And wordlessly, Toya hugs you. And Oka hugs back. And I think they kind of like whisper against her hair. Besides, Queen Mo would have never fallen for somebody like the Prince of Knives. What? How? You? Uh, and then both of you hear a voice and noise coming from like down the hall because you're at the threshold of the dressing room, right? A familiar voice, speak of the devil, go, I think she came down here somewhere, but I'm not sure where she... Toya! Oka! And you see Sava Dao around the corner, the Prince of Knives, uh, with their mask off, right? Their mask is down, showing, like, the scar, right, on their face. And their hood is down, but they're still wearing this, like, kind of, like, uh, cobbled leather armor that looks out of place and missed all the opulence. And they're next to your mom. Uh, Oka, who has like wheeled wheeled around the corners, like wheeling down the hall, and they like pause like halfway down the hall. Ah, uh, Toya, <clears throat> Toya, Oka. <laughs> uh, Sava, was it? Why don't you take Toya here back to her seat? Uh, yes, of course, I would be honored to serve as a personal bodyguard for Toya Hien. Uh, <clears throat> and Sava sort of like strides forward a little stiffly. I said take her to her seat. I didn't say anything about a personal bodyguard. Uh, of course. Yes. No, that's not what I... Uh, Toya goes, come on, Sava. And, like, like let's go of you. <laughs> like, turns around a little bit, like, in that classic haughty, like, Toya way, right? And, like, turns and, like, strides down the hall with Sava, who, you know, the Prince of Knives pauses, right? And, like, turns, like, looks over their shoulder and at you and just says, mouths the words, thank you, to you. Oga, mouth's back. You too. The Prince of Knives gives like a crooked half smile, their scar sort of like wrinkling. They like put like a, a arm around Toya's shoulders and like quickly retract it when they realize you're, like, you're still there. And like they like stiffly like walk Toya like down the hallway and around the corner. Toya gives you one last look, quick smile before she's gone. And then it's just your mother and yourself in the hallway. Oga looks down, you know. You know, I thought that everyone was supposed to be waiting in their seats. I didn't know that there was a whole backstage part of this whole ordeal. Well, Oka, we came here to look for you because you are tardy. I was getting ready. The, 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 nobody knows how to do my hair right. And they, like, have a cowlick. Your, your mother gestures for you to bend down. And then she, like, smooths down your cowlick. You know, in like a motherly way that like makes it stick. You know, you don't know what kind of poultice she's got on, but like it, it stays down. And she looks at your face and cups the side of your jaw. Oka, you have to tell me the truth. What will become of the Paragons? They'll save Andake. She smiles. And like her touch against your cheek like softens as she sort of like runs her like thumb over like, you know, the bump of your nose. My little Oka, all grown up. Feels like just yesterday you were running around the courtyard without your pants on. <laughs> it's a little stop. toddler. Mom, stop. Your little bottom peeking out. 
in front of all of the servants. You are always your mother, father, and I's brightest shining star. I'll make you proud, Mom. I will. <laughs> For what? You already have. And at that, Oka looks kind of baffled. Come on now. It's time to get to your own ceremony. If it's my ceremony, I feel like it's fine if I'm late. That's not what the Eighth Wife is saying. <laughs> Come before she besmirches your reputation some more. Uh, get in line. Your mother, like, turns, you know, she, like, wheels herself, like, back down the hall with you accompanying her. Ma. The Paragons. Never mind. She pauses. She can tell that there's something you want to say that you were leaving out. Well, if you ever remember what it is you want to tell your mother, the Andake Postal Service has a very expedient turnaround time. Yeah, well, turns out the Andake Postal Service are not the only ones who will be able to come back into too long. Come on now, Oka. Let's not make your friends wait any longer. And as, like, you, like, walk down the hallway with your mom, she looks up at you, pauses to sort of, like, stroke your arm, and smiles up at you and just says, I love you, Oka. I love you too, Ma. And then we cut to the throne room. Week, maybe week and spare change after the last time you were here, it's been completely cleaned up. All the blood has been scrubbed from the black marble. All the sapphire pillars are gleaming and iridescent. The debris has been cleaned up. The balconies have been repaired. The banisters refurnished. The throne scrubbed of blood. And now, sort of like in the audience, we see like those like red cushions completely cleaned, like glimmering, gleaming. Uh, and a congregation of like all of like the royal nobles of Toulon gathered in here. All of the families, uh, all of their children, um, all of their servants and retinues and minor nobles and petty officials of the court. And we find uh, Manaya, Dewey, V, and Rev sort of like in seats of honor, kind of like by the front next to Oka's family. Uh, you've got the best seats in the house here, as well as the Hyuns. We pan away from your like smile, like expectant faces, like up like the steps of the dais and up to uh, the silver throne uh, where we see the emperor, Oka's mother, father, sat as walking up the steps of the dais is Oka. Uh, and as you approach your mother, father, they like rise uh, and they draw Dream Hunter slowly, like in one motion, like from their scabbard, right? As you like approach them and you stand as equals directly in front of her, uh, in front of her throne. Your mother, father holds out Dream Hunter for like a hot second and they like place the blade horizontally onto their palm and they offer it to you. And Oka takes the sword, like they would hold a bird's egg and they kneel on both knees. The emperor places like two fingers on your forehead and like glowing like blue light radiates outward, right? As like ding ding ding, like glimmering down your body is like a kind of like glamour uh, that makes your robe sparkle, like new embroidery becomes itch like on the cloth. And you see like sprouting out from where they tap you on the forehead is a crown. 
that just sort of like spirals out of nowhere, like these like thin, this thin silver filigree, right? With this like blue jewel in like the center, just sort of like spreads like on top of your head. Um, because of course, this is your re-coronation. The re-coronation to make Okahien once again a prince. And as like, like the final sparkles like die away uh, from your robe, like you feel the fingers lift and like the he the heavy cold crown rests on your forehead as like your mother father gestures for you to stand as equals, right? Oka stands. As you stand and you like turn to face the congregation as is custom um, and the congregation like begins to like raise their hands to clap, uh, your mother father turns and looks at you, right? And you see like those two, one pupil in one eye and the three pupils in the other sort of like just taking you in with this very gentle look on their face, right? Strings of pearls in front of their face part momentarily for you to, like, just see their expression plainly. And they just say to you, Oka, Oka, you have always been enough. And we hold on your face, Oka, your double pupils, holding Dream Hunter, the crown shimmering on your head. Pull away on your coronation and away from the end of the session and the end of arc four. Podcast editing is by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanerRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanerRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Azura, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffesis, and Target.